welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. On today's show, the latest retail news, plus how ready is Vancouver, how ready is British Columbia for recreational marijuana? A wide range of innovative, disruptive technologies are making payments and transactions easier for businesses. On September 13th, BIV's FinTech panel will have a look at how small and medium-sized businesses can make informed decisions in this new and evolving landscape. Tickets and information are available at BIV.com slash events. We start our show today with a look at the latest retail news, which includes a Vancouver apparel chain going international and Canadian Tire branching out into goods for pets. Joining me on the line is Craig Patterson, editor-in-chief over at Retail Insider. Thanks for coming on, Craig. Thank you for having me. Let's start with the local story here. Vancouver's urban athletic brand, Respect Your Universe, they just launched their first U.S. store this month, but really it sounds like it's just the tip of the iceberg for them. It's interesting. The company is definitely growing. Um, it's run by uh, Marcello Leone, who's the son of uh, the couple that found the really expensive store in Hastings Street called Leone. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. And they, they have plans to, it seems like, add maybe five or so stores a year through to 2022. Is there that much demand for urban athletic wear? Uh, I mean, the company says there is. They had plans to open more stores, and I think it was a hundred. At one point, it was about a hundred. I think by twenty twenty or so. So, I think they scaled it back a bit. But that's probably smart. I mean, I think that they went in being quite ambitious. I talked to Marcello quite early on when he uh, brought the company to Canada. So, you know, as a bit of background, uh, RYU was a American brand originally based out of Portland, Oregon, and uh, he brought it. to Canada, brought the headquarters to Vancouver, and uh, has expanded from there. And, you know, I'm sure there have been challenges. I mean, we haven't really heard that specifically in the press, but anytime you're launching a new brand, be it Kittenace, Lululemon, or, you know, RYU, you know, there's still going to be some uh, some growing pains. And I'm impressed they've got as many stores as they have. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll be one we continue to watch, especially given it's a, it's a local success story. Looking the other way, we have Kenneth Cole, of course, an American company expanding to Canada with its first physical location, which is slated for Toronto. And we've had you on before talking about brands that choose Vancouver as their first Canadian headquarters. Why do you think Kenneth Cole chose Toronto over Vancouver? Uh, well, I think it's a couple of reasons. Um, Hagar Canada is headquartered in Toronto, so I think it's a way of uh, uh, sort of testing out the waters for this retail expansion. It's the first time that Kenneth Cole has really gone direct to consumer in Canada, which is a trend amongst many brands. Um, the other thing about Vancouver, you know, I've said this a few times, is it's tricky to find space. So, mm-hmm. you know, there are a few places in Vancouver, like I would definitely put the store on Robson Street. That's really, you know, where you would think a Kenneth Cole store would go if it was to go in Vancouver. But it can still be tough to find the right space, uh, you know, to negotiate it. I mean, it's not as simple as just throwing a store at a space. You know, you have to negotiate with the landlord. You have to come to the right terms and agreements on, you know, price and size and it has to work. And it's, you know, it's a miracle that any deals get done once you see how complicated it is to, uh, <laughs> to lease retail space. 
Yeah, no kidding. You mentioned this trend of brands going direct to consumer. Could that potentially be tied to, say, the the decline in department stores we've seen? Because part of this news, too, Kenneth Cole will be continuing to expand its presence in HBC, but Hudson's Bay is just one of the few department stores remaining. I would say yes and no. Uh, One interesting phenomenon we're seeing with better department stores is the concession model. So Holt Renfrew was certainly uh, uh, taken that form. You know, they're, they've got Holt Renfrew has boutiques at Pacific Centre that, you know, Louis Vuitton, Prada, Gucci, Chanel, these are all concessions. So they are kind of direct to consumer, but they're housed under one uh, department store, which is really more of a luxury shopping centre. So, uh, but yes, I would say for the most part, for those traditional like variety stores, your, you know, Sears, Eaton's, uh, as these brands go direct to consumer, then definitely that's going to affect these stores if, uh, well, in a good way or a bad way. The bad way is, you know, consumers end up shopping at the actual store, like when Canada Goose opens at Pacific Centre. Uh, you know, that may take market share from other retailers. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes it also increases brand awareness. And in the case of Strelson, as an example, when they had a store and they had uh, wholesale, uh, they saw a rise in sales in both uh, the department store and the freestanding store. Mm-hmm. We also have news this week that Uniqlo is launching its mobile e-commerce platform in Canada. So another way it's going to be able to reach out directly to consumers. But I've heard and I think we've talked about this before. It can be difficult to really nail e-commerce in Canada just because it's a big country, but a small population outside of city centers. Are they going to be able to pull this off, you think? I, I think so. I think they've beta tested this. Uh, hopefully they're not too late to the game. I'm sure they're not. But, uh, you know, obviously other retailers have websites. Uh, Zara, you know, is a competitor. They've got uh, most of their product is online. Uh, you know, there are other retailers that don't have it. I mean, Canada's often quite behind in e-commerce. It's a tough market to get into. I'm, I'm impressed that Uniqlo at this point uh, managed to figure this out. So, uh, you know, I wish the company the best. I hope they're doing well because I, in Toronto, you know, their clothing isn't quite as, I guess you'd say, formal as perhaps a lot of people in the city would dress. But I think in Vancouver, Uniqlo makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Continuing on that e-commerce theme too, Pure Later is introducing Canada's first mobile quick stop. Uh, tell us a bit about what this is and how it might solve some of the pain points for retailers who are trying to figure out e-commerce in Canada. Uh, deliveries are a tough thing. Uh, we're seeing, you know, various companies right now trying to innovate to, uh, like, remove, as you said, remove pain points from, uh, you know, buying the product to getting it to the consumer. And uh, we're seeing a lot of innovation out there in a lot of different cities. I mean, Amazon is also leading this. It's not even just Purelator. They're, you know, they're one of them. They've come up with this really interesting, you know, mobile stop where you can you know get your items closer to where you are uh, living instead of having to actually go to say a per later location but uh, I guess the bigger question is who's their competition and are they going to do it better and uh, I think the answer is well you know Amazon already has deliveries in Vancouver we're seeing Amazon lockers going in it's really a stay tuned situation I think it's just part of a huge uh, trend that we're seeing towards getting things to consumers as fast and easy and as inexpensively as possible. Yeah, I remembered the first time uh, in a shopping mall, I saw the Amazon lockers. It was just sort of this this symbol of what was to come, it felt like. I'm still waiting, though, for Amazon to be able to deliver a package straight to your car, put it in your trunk. You don't even have to worry about going anywhere to pick it up. Wouldn't that be something? Oh, goodness, yeah. And then there's the whole, you know, drone delivery possibility, which I'm oh, yeah. not sure will get off the ground. But you know, there's a lot of... Uh... <laughs> There's a lot of smart people out there coming up with a lot of interesting ideas to uh, to make this as simple as possible. And, 
you know, the best inventions are going to win ultimately. Mm-hmm. Final story, Canadian Tire partnering with U.S.-based pet brand Petco. What does this mean for Canadian Tire? I think it's a smart move. The pet industry is uh, quite large. It's over $2 billion a year in Canada. And Canadian Tire, you know, is a strong retailer, but I'm not sure if it was super strong in the pet area. So this really gives Canadian Tire an advantage to now... Uh, you know, go after pet owners. They said that about 65% of their customers are pet owners, and that's quite a lot. That's actually more than average in Canada. So, mm. um, people, you know, they have a Canadian Tire has a loyal base of shoppers, and uh, adding an extra element to their stores, which in this case, you know, is Petco uh, products, uh, that I think is a really, really, really smart move for Canadian Tire. It's also a great move for Petco to be able to be introduced to Canada, and it'll be interesting to see what they do over the next 10 to 20 years. Uh, you know, will they ever open stores? I don't know. I mean, they've got free real estate. Canadian Tire has great distribution and, you know, a lot of stores all over the place. And uh, it's a lot easier than having to open standalone stores and, and you know, go, go for that risk that, you know, Target uh, went through. You know, that didn't work so well. And, and mm-hmm. so I would definitely say they made a smart move here with going with Canadian Tire. There you go. A perfect pair. Craig, as always, thanks so much for joining the program. appreciate your insight. Thank you for having me. That's Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief over at Retail Insider. We are about 70 days away from the legalization of recreational cannabis here in Canada. The question we've been asking for months now is, how ready are we? And joining me with his take on this is Dan Sutton, founder at Tantalus Labs. Thanks for coming back. Glad to be here. I feel like we ask you this uh, every two weeks or so on the show, but at this point, 70 days away, how ready are we here in BC? I think there's still a lot of work to do. And ultimately, the big question mark right now is what are the retail application regulations and process going to look like? We still haven't seen a formal announcement about the opening of the process and letting those retailers, some of whom have already purchased leases, some of whom uh, have been running uh, gray market dispensaries for some time now. And they're all really uh, hot and heavy to get into this application. And so considering it's only 70 days left and there's shelf stocking, renovations, all kinds of uh, tenant improvements that are going to need to go on, I, I think we're we're running up against the red line as we always do. But key to continue to remember that this is just day one. Uh, I think the BC government and the Canadian federal government have all said this process is going to iterate just because we haven't seen any stores announced in any uh, Canadian major city or Vancouver or Victoria, British Columbia major cities. Uh, doesn't mean that they're never going to happen. It just means that it may be a little bit uh, slow on the uptake. And to that point too, whatever we see, that might just be version 1.0 and we might see two, three, however many times where if we see a cap, for example, number of retail locations that may be lifted years from now. That's true. And the the diversity, the inclusiveness, who is going to be running these shops? Does it need to be massively well-funded, multi-million dollar corporations? Will there be room for mom and pops? I mean, we saw a cool discussion yesterday on Twitter talking about how every uh, store applicant in Alberta has all said our store is going to look like the Apple store for cannabis. Hmm. Well, the Apple store for cannabis is something novel. It's something interesting, but perhaps there's room for a little bit more color, something weirder, something that caters to the taste of Vancouverites, which isn't necessarily just glossy and slick, uh, but could be representative of the character of the city or more so the character of the entrepreneur. Those are the stores that I'm really looking forward to. Do you think there will be room for those smaller mom and pop 
shops considering to some of the limitations there are around marketing? I think that in the context of marketing, uh, those shops will probably do a better job of cultivating mm -hmm. an audience in their specific community. These are like your neighborhood brewery. They've got to be uh, something that appeals to the locals, something that generates return customers and, and people coming in feeling a sense of community in that store. And that really comes down to the application process. Will those uh, politicos and bureaucrats who are running through these applications do a good job of selecting not just the best funded companies, but also those that are going to effectively represent the culture of Vancouver. And, uh, you know, for better or worse, there actually are quite a few dispensaries that exist in this city that are representing that culture. And I think it would be a cultural loss if they were not uh, allowed to continue. Success on those terms then seems to rely on politicos and decision makers fully understanding the extent of the culture we already have. That's very true. And I know that they want to understand it. I know that there is political motivation and incentive to get information from industry, get information from the user base. We've actually seen a new level of interest from the, the bodies that are governing this entire legislative process to reach out to industry, to reach out to uh, various special interest groups. And I think that that's hugely positive. If they are willing to be educated and obviously take the uh, motives of a, of a profit-oriented enterprise with a grain of salt, they can extract the good value, the understanding of the, of the industry as it exists today in an unregulated way and try to translate the best parts of that into the user experiences for the new consumer uh, who will be purchasing in a regulated way. Mm -hmm. But it's certainly going to, to take some time and I think it'll get smaller before it gets bigger and the next sort of year is going to be all about survival as victory. Figure out how to perpetuate your business until we can really see the Cambrian explosion of legal and regulated cannabis. In, in my crystal ball, that looks like it's about a year away. Okay, good to know. Uh, now, we're in the interesting position of having a municipal election three days after we have legalization of recreational cannabis. Do you think this is a major election issue? I think it absolutely is a major election issue and, and not just for the municipality of Vancouver, but municipalities in the lower mainland that may not have as much interest in cannabis retail, but that is certainly where most of the cannabis that is being sold in these dispensaries is being cultivated. Mm. So uh, in the in the Vancouver case, you know, we, we've seen a sort of as as little messaging as possible around these dispensaries and, and how they may transition. But this is a massive issue for the city of Vancouver. It's an issue of job creation and economic development. It's also an issue of uh, political permissiveness and how much they want to advocate for uh, uh, what can be a bit of a politically contentious issue. But there is no denying that in the city of Vancouver, likely more so than anywhere else in Canada, this is a substantially economically impactful contributor uh, to the Vancouver economy. And I think uh, it's it's really essential that we take this seriously and look at how to build uh, a Vancouver cannabis community that is both regulated and also enabled for growth. Given the distribution model we have here in BC, is it clear yet how easy or how difficult it will be for licensed producers not on the BC LDBs list to maybe get their product to other provinces? That's a great question. And uh, I... I know for sure beyond the shadow of a doubt that cannabis shortages are coming. They're imminent. Mm -hmm. There are also large cannabis producers in this province and elsewhere that are having trouble uh, 
building their inventories and growing cannabis because running a new facility at any size is very difficult. Running a new facility at a very large size, exponentially more difficult. And so uh, for a producer like Tantalus Labs that was not prepared to uh, enter into that, that bid process to be able to get cannabis onto those store shelves on day one, we look at the ability to then come in later on when we've proven out our product, when we have our uh, authorizations to sell and, and be able to move in and hopefully a, a second product call and those product calls will continue to come. So I think it's, uh, it's really essential that firms like us and the BCLDB maintain relationships, foster those relationships and understand where we sit and where other firms sit on that value chain. Mm-hmm. One thing we do know here in BC, individuals will be allowed to grow their own cannabis. But one of the questions around this is how easy that will be if you only have access to, say, seeds and not young plants. I'll put this to you as someone who has a lot of expertise. How difficult is it going to be? Uh, growing cannabis from seed is more difficult than growing it from young plants. However, the storage and distribution of cannabis seedlings is very logistically complex and Mm. requires about a fresh to market of maybe a day to three days, absolutely maximum. So I understand why uh, the, the sale of clones is not going to be feasible, by the same distribution centers that will be distributing dried flour, which is obviously has a far longer shelf life. But this is all about the passion of the cultivator. And I think it's a really fun exercise. I say it all the time that the best cannabis on earth is cannabis that you grow yourself. And it's because you've developed this relationship with a plant. Growing from seed is certainly not impossible. Uh, However, where you can grow your cannabis with seed does present some logistical complexities because apparently it really can't happen in, in, some stratas. Uh, it can happen in visibility from the street. I think considering that the audience that may be price sensitive enough to cultivate their own cannabis likely aren't living in single detached houses, mm. uh, it's going to represent a bit of complexity in Vancouver. But hopefully those regulations can iterate over time as well, because this is not a devil's devil's lettuce. This is a perfectly safe plant to grow. If, if someone has a backyard garden or a windowsill where they're growing tomatoes, growing cannabis can be a really enjoyable and rewarding experience. And will be, of course, legal to do so come October 17th. Some concerns from BC firefighters, though, that it poses potentially a fire hazard in certain residential buildings, and they're actually lobbying to have home growing of cannabis totally banned. Is that a a realistic concern? Can it be dangerous on that front? Uh, I think it can be dangerous in very outlier cases. Mm -hmm. What they're probably referring to is is basement grows that have high-performance lights uh, that kick off a lot of heat. Uh, and those growing the cannabis can then create fire hazard as that as the cannabis grows, it may actually touch the lights. And there have been instances throughout the lower mainland and, and across North America where that's caused house fires. But those cases are so rare. And honestly, with a little bit of online education, people can avoid that risk self-interestedly. I'm sure no one wants to burn down their no. house. Okay. Uh, so I think that this is a, a bit of a fear mongering. And, and ultimately, perhaps those firefighters should be spending their time talking about how to create indoor cultivation or home cultivation with the appropriate fire risk mitigation uh, instead of saying, let's ban this altogether. It sort of gets us back to that education piece that we've talked with you so much about over the last six months, educating people with what they need to know. The final topic I wanted to talk to you about is the idea of cannabis tourism. Of course, once we have a legalized industry here, do you think we're going to see a lot of people deciding to come to Canada just to check out what's going on? 
Absolutely. I mean, if you look at Denver, Colorado, which does have a sort of small tourism base or did before it and had cannabis, it's now a tourist mecca with things like grow grow up tours and uh, tastings and all these awesome draws for people who might not have visited Colorado before. Well, in Vancouver, we have a huge tourist industry, especially at this time of year. And there are many tourists that are in the market for some cannabis, some good BC bud when they come here. Well, if they can acquire that legally, tack that onto a bit of a value added experience, experience, perhaps, you know, touring our facility in Maple Ridge is an experience that rarely leaves people anything but jaw dropped. And uh, I know from personal experience, all you need to do is walk around Whistler Village as a Vancouverite and probably 10 or 15 people are going to ask you for cannabis. And instead of saying, (laughs) hey, you should call this guy who might deliver it on a bike, you could say, go check out this legal and regulated store. Mm -hmm. I think that's a massive opportunity for British Columbia. And uh, we should we should be treating it like our wine industry, we should be treating it like our beer industry, and, and optimizing all of those opportunities for external tourism dollars that don't come from within the province being poured into British Columbian cannabis enterprises as well as they are other tourist enterprises. Do you think we get to the point where, say, like you can get a craft beer flight or a tasting, we get to that point with cannabis and we see lounges and dedicated venues for this product? Absolutely. I mean, I hope that that does happen. I think that the notion of cannabis lounges has been talked about politically. I think it's still a ways off. There's just a lot of other regulations that need to be laid out first. Uh, and the problem with the the cannabis flight is the moment you consume the first cannabis, you're going to be inebriated when you consume the second one. Right. So hard to kind of differentiate anything except the flavor. You're not going to be able to differentiate uh, what what kind of psychoactive experience you're going to get. But nonetheless, you know that's that's super exciting. In Washington State, they have beautiful you know, pre-packaged uh, joints that you can buy of a variety of different qualities and uh, and strengths. And I think that that's something that cannabis consumers, especially those that are new to the cannabis conversation or haven't had differentiated cannabis before, will be really excited by. Are we in competition here in Vancouver with, say, Toronto or pick any other city that would be on the map to international visitors? Or do we maybe have a bit of a leg up just given sort of the, the international brand of BC Bud? I think we definitely have a baseline of a bit of a leg up and people know that good cannabis is cultivated in British Columbia, but it's how we then leverage that existing brand value. Uh, And I I don't know if Toronto is going to move towards this private model. That's something that they've been kind of shaking out for the last few weeks is if they are going to include uh, private, ergo, more branded and more tailored cannabis shopping experiences. I think we'll see an announcement on that this week. But BC needs to do everything it can to preserve uh, that BC Bud brand, especially when we see large companies, cultivation companies from Ontario and elsewhere buying up cultivators here in British Columbia. There was a large transaction last week between AB Can and Canafarms, and then Broken Coast was acquired by an Ontario Mm -hmm. firm, Afria. And so I think it's it's really essential that we maintain a good stable of BC-owned and operated firms that can continue to represent the priorities of BC cannabis consumers uh, and really preserve that, that quality of BC bud. Dan, as always, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much. That's Dan Sutton, founder at Tantalus Labs. And that's it for our show today. Thanks for listening to BIV Today. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at BIV.com where you can find more business news. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. 